Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in, everybody. Another episode. College football betting. Summer of 2022 edition. The season is almost here. We don't need to wait till August or September to start talking college football, not here on College Football Betting, and we are bringing you another one of our off-season, preseason preview episodes. It's hard to believe, but we are really kind of inching towards this college football thing, right? SEC Media Days is next week. Once that happens, I think the, the, the feel is in the air. We're not that far from camp. From camp, we obviously get to week zero, week one, and we are off and running. Uh, last week on College Football Betting with Aaron Torres, we did the SEC East over-under win totals, and today we focus on the SEC West. Today we focus on the SEC West, a very interesting division. I think a division that we all agree is the toughest conference of college, uh, co- toughest division in the toughest conference of college football. And really, once you get past Bama, the reigning SEC champ and national runner-up to Georgia, this, div- this division is wide open. Texas A&M is interesting, but are they a year away? LSU is rebuilding. Ole Miss, Arkansas coming off great season. So we're going to get into all seven of these teams. I'm going to give you my best and worst bets. Just a couple quick notes before we get started. One, obviously a ton of preseason content coming. If you're not subscribed to the, to the, to the uh, uh, podcast, make sure to do so. Go ahead, find us on YouTube. Give us a subscribe there. That really does help us kind of grow this show. And then beyond that, uh, make sure if you missed last week's episode of the, covering the SEC East over-under win totals, make sure to go ahead and download that episode. We are going to be doing all the conferences, all the divisions in some cases, certainly in the SEC and in the Big Ten. Uh, and we're going to hit on the Pac-12 later and the Big 12 later. We're also going to hit on conference title odds as we get closer to the season. We'll hit on Heisman odds. We'll hit on Week 0 lines. And then we'll hit on Week 1 lines, and we will be off and going. The only reminder I would tell you outside of that, the one thing I always promise on college football betting, whether it is in this off-season content, whether it is once the season begins, we never hand out guarantees, locks, this and that. Now, there are two bets in the SEC West that we're about to get to in a minute that I really do like, but I don't want you, uh, but the only goal of this show, let me put it this way, is to get you the best information possible. Just because Torres likes this doesn't mean that he, you have to like this. Just because Torres says stay away doesn't mean that you have to stay away if you feel differently, but I want to get into it. I always give that caveat. This is not one of those shows where I give out a 1-900 number and I beg you to call and sign up for this. I just want to get you the best information possible. And so with that said, let's get into it. Uh, First of all, I'll say this. The best bet in the SEC West, listen, it's always Alabama. And we're going to get to Alabama in a minute. But I want to start somewhere different. Because of every preseason bet that I have seen, there is one that I like more than anybody else. And I can't believe I'm saying this. 
My favorite over-under win total bet as of right now, all of these are courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to go there. Link is in the show description. It is actually the Mississippi State Bulldogs. That sounds crazy, but their over-under win total is only 6.5. The over is minus 125. The under is plus 105. And I told you, I don't bet all these. Mississippi State is one that I will be betting. Uh, I'm going to ride with it. I told you last episode I went 5 for 5 in my preseason over-under bets last year. This is one that I really like. I like the over, and let me explain why. First of all, as I just said, the over is set at 6.5. Last year, Mississippi State in the regular season went 7-5. and five. So essentially, you're just asking them to match their output in year three under Mike Leach that they had last year. But why, why I like Mississippi State is a couple reasons. First of all, if you look at that 7-5 and five record, it's actually very deceiving. One of their out-of-conference games, it was a game at Memphis. Many of you may remember, very weird deal where Mississippi State downed a punt. Memphis picked it up and returned it for a touchdown, and it stood on the field. It cost Mississippi State that game. So that was one win in the win total that should have absolutely been there. That absolutely wasn't there. Mississippi State, at worst, should have been 8-4. and four. And I would add to it, uh, a few weeks later, they played LSU at home in a game where they outgained LSU by over 100 plus yards in that game. I'll be honest, it was the game that I knew that Coach O was kind of screwed. LSU ended up winning the game by three, but Mississippi State was probably the better team if you watch from start to finish. And of their five regular season SEC losses, three of them were by three points or less. And so I think it's fair to say they go seven and five last year. They were probably closer to a nine and three team than they were to a six and six or five and seven team. That, that alone isn't why I like them, though. Why I like them is because in addition to all that, here's what you need to know. 16 starters back total, uh, including on offense, where Will Rogers, their starting quarterback, is back from a season ago. Obviously, most quarterbacks put up great numbers under Mike Leach. Well, this guy was absolutely no exception. How about this? 4,700 yards, 36 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and this was a guy that this, he is now returning for his third year as a quarterback in this Mike Leach system. Four of his top five wide receivers are back, and I have no reason to believe that this offense won't be explosive. Now, again, it's different than Mike Leach doing it at Washington State or at Texas Tech against Big 12 and Pac-12 defenses, but at the same time, year three under Leach with a third-year quarterback. Remember, last year they moved the ball much better than they did in that first year. Mike Leach kind of adjusted to the SEC. I'm not saying he's ever going to be Nick Saban or, uh, or Kirby Smart. But they were much more adjusted last year, almost 30 points per game in, you know, over the course of the season. Uh, they were fifth in total offense. But here's the other part that I think is worth noting in terms of Mississippi State and in terms of the season ahead. I think the, the logic behind Mississippi State, what we always say about them, um, is that, and by the way, I think they, they were actually a little bit lower in total offense, but, but, but so you get the point. Third-year starting quarterback, top four, four of the top five receivers are back. Here's the thing about Mississippi State, though, the point that I was trying to get to that I tripped myself up on. I think we all look at Mississippi State, we kind of say, oh, well, great offense, but can they get defensive stops? Here's the thing I think a lot of people forget. They finished fifth in the SEC and in the top 30 nationally in total defense. And this is a unit that returns uh, eight starters from last year. They return the defensive coordinator. It's not as though the defensive coordinator left. Zach Arnett is back, even though there was some interest from some other schools. And so you now look at Mississippi State, 16 starters back, both sides of the ball, eight on offense, eight on defense, 30-year starting quarterback. I really like this team. Additionally, I really like this team because of their schedule. Now, I will say with the schedule, there are a few weird things that concern me. 
in week three and week four, so September 17th and September 24th, or September 10th and September 17th, excuse me, so week two and week three, they do play back-to-back road games, and here's the trip. They play at Arizona in an 11 Eastern time kickoff in week two. So that's the Pac-12 after dark game. Enjoy Pac-12 after dark while we have it. Who knows what the future of that conference is as I record here. But they play Arizona on, on a Saturday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. They fly home, and then they immediately have a game the following week at LSU. That does concern me. On the flip side, however, what I would say is this. After that LSU game, the next game they play at home is bowl, the next game they play is at home against Bowling Green. From September 24th until September until November 24th. So a span of two full months in the lead up to the Egg Bowl where they play at Ole Miss. They play six of eight at home. So they get Memphis in week one at home, which we know will be a revenge game. They play those two weird back-to-back road games. And then six of their next eight are at home over the course of two full calendar months. They only play two road games. So they get Arkansas at home, they get A&M at home, they get Auburn at home. They do have Georgia at home, which will not be easy. Do have Alabama and Kentucky on the road. But when I look at this team, they're going to be I believe they'll be 4 and 0 in the out of conference portion of the play. Arizona is going to be improved, but they they're not going to be better. And then this is a team that went 4 and 4 last year in league play. And I think the other thing with Mike Leach, he's just a different cat and I don't I you look at him, I think everybody just assumes he's goofy, he's this, he's that. Here's the bottom line. Since he's gotten to the SEC two years ago, he's already won at LSU, he's won at Auburn, and he's won at Texas A&M. So I believe that if they go 4-0 in league play, I believe there's three wins somewhere in the SEC. Obviously, again, uh, Kentucky and Georgia are the crossover games, but I really do like this 6.5. Mississippi State over 6.5, 16 starters back. They are my favorite bet so far that I have found. I will give out at the end of all this my five favorite bets total, but Mississippi State over 6.5 is one of them. Speaking of best bets, speaking of playing it safe, how about Alabama over 10.5 wins, the over, you got to pay, it's minus 145, the under plus 125. And I think Alabama, it's a lot like Georgia, what we talked about the other day with Georgia, right? With Georgia, the question is, where are there two losses on the schedule for this over to not hit? And I think it's the exact same thing with Alabama. Schedule is a little challenging, more challenging than it may have been in the years past, but where do you find the two losses on this schedule? And in the bigger picture, let's just think about Alabama for a second. So last year, Alabama, this time last year with Alabama, if I had done an SEC West preview on Alabama, here's what I would have said. They lost, they had just won the national championship. They lost six first round picks to the NFL. Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Dante Smith, uh, Dante, uh, uh, Dante Smith, yeah, uh, Devontae Smith, I should say, um, J- Jalen Waddell and a few other guys. Six first round picks. Okay, so think about that. They lost six first-round picks off of last year's team. They had a freshman quarterback last year in Bryce Young. Now, it turned out to be pretty good. Surprise, surprise. They had obviously lost their offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, and most of their offensive staff. They had a, 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 you know, a tough schedule. They, whatever. The point I'm trying to make is all of that was working against them. Lost six first-round picks, freshman quarterback, lose the whole offensive staff. What ends up happening? They went 11-1 in the regular season last year. So if all of that happened last year and they went 11-1, and one, what is the argument of them not matching, if not exceeding that, and going either 12-0 and 0 or 11-1 and 1 this year for the over of 10.5 to hit? The argument, there really isn't one. And on top of that, they're coming in in a much better place this year than they were at this time last year. Now, I'm not saying that they're, they're invincible, they can't lose. 
It ain't going to be easy, though. I mean, they returned the best player in college football in Bryce Young. I know there's a lot of buzz all of a sudden about C.J. Stroud. Is he the better long-term prospect? Is he this? Is he that? Oh, I, I can't. I, I'm not an NFL draft expert. What I can tell you is that Bryce Young threw for 4,800 yards, 47 touchdowns, seven interceptions last year, okay? They obviously returned the best defensive player in college football in Will Anderson. Not sure if you heard, that guy's pretty good. 34 and a half tackles for loss, 17 and a half sacks, 102 tackles. I don't know if you guys caught the Alabama spring game. Nick Saban literally had to pull Will Anderson out of the Alabama spring game because he was messing everything up because he's too good. Now imagine that guy going against offensive lines that aren't Alabama's, that don't have five stars everywhere. Imagine him going up against Vanderbilt's offensive line or, or, or you know whoever, whoever they're going to play over the course of the season. It ain't going to be pretty. No spoilers, but Will Anderson's actually my favorite to win the Heisman. So you have Bryce Young leading the offense. You have Will Anderson leading the defense. Here's the crazy part, though. Nick Saban has figured out this portal game, right? Like, like, like you know, th- there are certain coaches that are hesitant to jump in, most notably, n- most notably Dabo Sweeney. Nick Saban sits around and says, wait a second now. I can come out of the season, and instead of relying on a, a guy that's never played meaningful college football or a true freshman coming in in the freshman class, I can just go out and pick and choose the players that I want out of the transfer portal? Oh, boy. And Nick Saban has done that to a T over the last couple years. This offseason, he plugged every hole he had and I think upgraded some units that he didn't even need to upgrade at running back. They got talent. Obviously, they lose Brian Robinson off last year's team, but they went out and they decided, you know what, we want to upgrade at the running back position. They went and got Jameer Gibbs, five yards per carry, 13 yards per catch out of the backfield at Georgia Tech last year. That was at Georgia Tech with not very good quarterback play, not very good line play, not very many deep threats in the wide receiver position. If he can average 13 yards per catch, 5 yards per carry, imagine what he could do at Alabama. Oh, by the way, they go out and get Jermaine Burton, wide receiver from Georgia, out of the transfer portal. They go and get Tyler Harrell, 18 catches, an absurd 29 yards per catch at Louisville, one of the fastest players in college football. And then on defense, they go out and get Eli Ricks, who is being projected as maybe the first cornerback off the board. He played at LSU last two seasons. And so you talk about a team that was probably going to be preseason number one already. Went out and added five impact transfers, including a difference maker at running back, two difference makers at wide receiver, a difference making corner, an offensive tackle, Tyler Steen. This team is scary. And so we, we can do this and that and the other thing. They're over under is 10 and a half DraftKings Sportsbook. I encourage you to check it out and make sure to go ahead uh, and do what you do. I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do. But even if looking at the schedule, you say the schedule is pretty tough, find me the two losses. The schedule is difficult. I will give Alabama that. I will give people who are not confident in Alabama that. The schedule is pretty tough at Texas, at Ole Miss, at Arkansas, at LSU, at Tennessee. That is not easy. For mere mortals, I would be worried. Those are five teams that are probably going to start in the preseason top 25. Tennessee is obviously a sexy pick out of the East. Maybe not LSU, maybe. Tennessee is a sexy pick out of the East. Arkansas coming off a nine-win season. Ole Miss coming off a 10-win season. I'm going fast here, but Texas, obviously, with the the hype with Quinn Ewers. LSU, all of those games are on the road. Obviously, Tennessee at home, or Texas A&M, excuse me, at home, and Auburn at home. With that said, it's Nick Saban. I don't see the two losses. Forgive me. Give me the over of 10 and a half with Alabama. So it's interesting, on the SEC East podcast, I did the most undervalued team that I believed in the SEC East, 
Well, in the West, I believe that, that Mississippi State is probably that team. We just talked about them. So I'm not going to get into Mississippi State here. But I will say, I do think there's one team that's maybe a little bit overvalued, and that's Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss, to me, kind of reminds me of that overvalued team I talked about in the East last week with Kentucky, where I have concerns. But you look at the schedule. Their over-under, by the way, is 7.5 wins. This is Ole Miss. 7.5 wins. The over is minus 135. The under is plus 115. I do worry about them, but I'll also readily admit that I don't know where the five losses will be on the schedule. Why am I worried about him? Well, let's just go back to last year. First of all, historic season, credit Lane Kiffin. I think he, he answered a lot of the doubters last season who said he's goofy, he's this, he's that. No, he's a, great, he's a great head coach now. Got his flaws, he's not perfect, but I really do think he learned from the Nick Saban experience, learned from the Florida Atlantic experience, and has Ole Miss rolling. Uh, Ten wins in the regular season, first time in school history that that ever happened. Uh, go to the Sugar Bowl, they obviously did lose to Baylor. Here's where the concern with Ole Miss comes in. One, they lost a lot. They lost a lot of production, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, Matt Corral, now with the Carolina Panthers, third-round pick. He is in the NFL. So, too, uh, they also, in addition, lost their top four running backs, Jerry and Ely, Snoop Connor, Henry Parrish, along with Matt Corral, and their top four wide receivers as well. And this is the part that I think is important when I'm worried about Ole Miss. It's not just that you lost all that talent. It's not just that, oh, by the way, on top of all that talent that was lost, you lost six starters on defense, including some of your biggest difference makers, Chance Campbell, one of the best linebackers in the SEC last year. Where my concern with Ole Miss also comes in is this. Their offensive coordinator, I know Lane Kiffin basically is in charge of the offense, but Jeff Lebby left to go to Oklahoma to work for Brent Venables in the same position. Their defensive coordinator, DJ Durkin, who really flipped that defense around last season, he left to become the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. And so you really look at last season, you can make the argument that of like the 20 most important people in the building, outside of Lane Kiffin, virtually all of them are gone. Now, an Ole Miss fan would sit there and say, Torres, yeah, we lost a lot, but we brought in a lot through the portal. And I can't fight that. Obviously, Jackson Dart is the headliner quarterback, four-star played at USC last year. Beyond that, Zach Evans, one of the great high school running backs of the last five, six, seven years. He started. Uh, he actually committed to Georgia at one point, played at TCU last year, was excellent at TCU. He has also transferred to Lane Ki or to uh, Ole Miss, excuse me, uh, to play for Lane Kiffin. Michael Trigg, a a former four high four star, low five star tight end who played last year at USC. He transfers in with Jackson Dart. Uh, Jalen Robinson, really good wide receiver from UCF. Another great wide receiver, uh, Jordan Watkins from Louisville. So you go on and on down the list. And it's worth noting, too, Ole Miss did, return, did also add a couple difference makers on the defensive side of the ball in the portal. And so what I would say is, I think you can see it one of two ways. You could say, man, they lost a lot, but they, they, they loaded up on a lot. But where I come from is they lost a lot. You're asking a lot of guys to play roles that they haven't, and they're all new to campus. And you're asking them to do it under a mostly new coaching staff. That is where the concern comes in for me. And also, the other concern is this. Last year, I think Ole Miss, they did win 10 games. But a lot of those swing games were at home, right? They play Arkansas at home, win by one. They play A&M at home. They beat A&M. They got, obviously, they play Vandy every year in the out of conference. And so uh, they beat LSU at home. So, or I think I said the out of conference on Vandy. Obviously, that's a cross division game. 
This year, a lot of those games are on the road, right? So now you have to go to LSU. LSU, I think, we're going to talk about LSU in a minute. But I, uh, that game is still at LSU. It is at Tiger Stadium. They play A&M, a team they beat last year. Now it's on the road instead of at home. Same with Arkansas, a team they beat by one. That game is now on the road. And so you look at the schedule. The over-under is 7.5. I think they go 4-0 and in out-of-conference play. They play Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech at, on the road, and Tulsa at home. But again, outside of Vanderbilt, where are the obvious wins for Ole Miss in this in-conference play on the conference schedule? I don't know if I see, even if they go 5-0, and 4-0 in league play plus Vanderbilt, I don't know that I see three definitive wins on the schedule. All right, that's what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back, and we're going to hit on the other four teams in the SEC West. We're going to start with LSU. They are quirky. From there, we're going to go to Arkansas, Texas A&M. We will wrap with Auburn. We will be right back. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I am back. Let's get to these other four SEC West teams. And I'll just say this, man. It, is, it just shows how challenging this division is. Just think about the four teams we haven't talked about. LSU, A&M, Arkansas, Auburn. Four just historically great programs, historically relevant. And I will say, with, with these over-unders, I, I don't think that any of these four teams, I think it could go either way. Now, Alabama is Alabama. But outside of Alabama, I think everybody in this division, maybe Mississippi State because of the reasons I talked about, they're an injury, a, a, a trick play, a, 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 you know, a, a broken play on, on special teams one way or the other. From hitting the over, from hitting the under, I don't think there's that much difference that separates any of these programs. What I will say, though, is this. 
Last week during the SEC East preview, I mentioned that if there was one team in the East that was just a total stay away to me, it was the Florida Gators at seven wins. Well, as we transition to the West, if there's one team that is a total stay away to me in the West, it is absolutely Florida's cross-division rivals, the team that they play every year out of the West, the LSU Tigers. Now listen, I love LSU, and I'll just say in general, I don't buy the whole Brian Kelly can't handle the SEC. Brian Kelly has won at every level he's ever coached. He won at the, I don't know if it was D2 or FCS, Grand Valley State, whatever that is, somewhere in Michigan. He won at Central Michigan. He won at the Group of Five. He won at the Power Five. He won at Cincinnati. He won at Notre Dame. He turned Notre Dame back into a national power, something that people said could not be done when he got there. So I believe in this guy, but he's also inheriting a crazy situation. Remember, the last time that we saw LSU on the field, they had 40-something players for their bowl game against Kansas State. 40-something players. And that shows that, listen, as much as we all love Coach O, and I, and I did love Coach O and I wanted him to work, I just think it's pretty clear that, that it's just, you know, it, 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 Coach O was, it, it needed to, he, needed to, he needed to go. You lose to UCLA, you lose to Kentucky at LSU, that is unacceptable. No disrespect to a Kentucky or UCLA fan, it's just a fact. And so now we move on. Now we're in the Brian Kelly era. And I will say there, there are little glimmers to have optimism about LSU. The quarterback room is certainly interesting. Four guys in the quarterback room. Miles Brennan, who admittedly was awesome in the very limited time. He was the starting quarterback the year after Joe Burrow left. The problem was he got hurt in the second game or third game of the season. He made two starts and he was done. He was really good, but he has not been healthy for two full years. Really has not played meaningful steps for most of the last five years. He's so old, he's engaged right now, okay? So he's like a, a fourth, fifth, six-year senior who's already engaged. That shows you how old he is. I think he's good. It's just can he stay healthy and how much rust is there? Uh, uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, who started late in the season. You bring in Jaden Daniels, a starter at Arizona. I'm out on Jaden Daniels. I don't believe in him. I just don't think he's that good, and maybe it's because I'm one of the few people that watches the Pac-12. Uh, and then you have Walker Howard, the freshman, who I don't think is going to get much experience this this year. So I just bring it all up to say that quarterback room is fascinating, but we still don't know who's going to be the starter. But like I said, there are reasons for optimism. I mean, you have three guys in that room with starting experience at the Power 5 level. Uh, the skill positions aren't deep, but the talent is there. Obviously, at running back, the, the big news is, is John Emery, who missed all of last year, some academic stuff. Uh, he is back. And that wide receiver room is probably the one place that LSU is completely stocked the way that LSU needs to be. Obviously, Kayshawn Boutte, uh, he is, a, I love the name. We talked about it on this show last year. We talked about it on the Aaron Torres pod last year. But Kayshawn Boutte is back. He is the projected, maybe the top wide receiver in college football this year. And then a couple other guys that, that played last year, Jare Jenkins, Malik Neighbors, Jack Beck. So, you know, you look at this team across the board. The wide receiver room is good. Uh, and the defensive line does have some very interesting players coming back, uh, including uh, B.J. Ojolari and Ali Gay, who were both really, really, really good players. B.J. Ojolari is another guy that's projected as a first-round pick. The problem with LSU is twofold. One, it's one, well, really threefold. One, we're not sure about the quarterback. Two, it's the depth issue that I just, they had 40-something players in their bowl game, and they did do a good job in the portal. They added a bunch of marquee guys, Noah Kane running back from Penn State, the quarterbacks that I just talked about. They actually pulled Miles Brennan back out of the portal after he left. Uh, Greg Brooks, a, a, a corner that played at Arkansas. Joe Foucha, a, a safety that played at Arkansas. So they added 
marquee talent, but is it enough, especially as the season goes on? That's what we saw with LSU last year. They started getting injuries, and they just didn't have enough bodies, and that's what I worry about this year. What I also worry about with with LSU is the schedule. Listen, they open against an, an interesting Florida State team. Yes, Florida State was 5-7 and seven last year. Yes, they missed a bowl game. But Florida State was very much improved over the second half of the year. I believe Florida State started something like, I think, I want to say 0-4 last year. They, they start 0-4. They finish 5-7. and seven. They So, you know, you do some simple math there. You start 0-4, 5-7. That's 5-3 and three down the stretch. You start with Florida State. That won't be easy. And then from there... Uh, you have the normal SEC schedule that is always a grind, and for you just it's just it's just tough if you're LSU. Florida State, the two cross division games. You have Florida this year in the swamp. You have Tennessee at home. Tennessee is obviously a much improved team under Josh Heupel. Do you have the bodies to play that fast for for 60 minutes? Obviously, with the way that Josh Heupel is going to play, and then you look at the rest of the schedule at Arkansas, at A&M, at Auburn. And then you do get uh, Alabama and Ole Miss at home. And so I look at this LSU team, I would probably lean under. I know LSU fans don't want to hear it, but I do think a 6-6 six and six overall body of work at the end of the year, get to a bowl game, get some of these young guys reps, and then hopefully you clean up in recruiting. Coach O, I love him. This place was a mess. And uh, there's nothing else to really say about it except for the fact that it's just a tough, tough, tough spot for LSU to be in. All right, let's keep the party going, and uh, let's talk about a team that probably, I guess you could make the case that Auburn has had the most interesting offseason, but we're going to get to Auburn in a minute. Instead, the focus right now is on Texas A&M. By now, you know a lot of what happened in Aggieland over the course of the last couple months. They signed the number one recruiting class of all time back in February. Lane Kiffin has his opinion on it. Nick Saban has his opinion on it. Jimbo Fisher reacts to both, most notably Nick Saban. And now we're entering a season where I think there's a very interesting dichotomy between the public perception of Texas A&M and the one behind the scenes. I think publicly, there's a lot of people, well, if they don't make the playoff, well, you know, Jimbo Fisher, he's a bust and he's overrated and he's overpaid and he needs to be fired. Certainly you can't go go five and seven if you're Jimbo Fisher, but what's interesting is that I kind of get the sense internally that most Texas A&M fans believe that they're probably still a year away from really competing at the top of that the top of the sport. And I think the over-under, by the way, reflects that. Over-under set for eight and a half, the over minus 150, the under set at plus 130. And why I think that is a couple of reasons. One, the quarterback room is unsettled. Two, you have a situation where, where obviously uh, a lot of those young freshmen are still a year away from really being those kind of dudes and difference makers. And you also just lost a lot both on the field and off the field where you also lost one of the most, the, the most notable defensive coordinators in college football, Mike Elko, took the head coaching job at Duke. DJ Durkin, as we just discussed from Ole Miss, replaces him. But there is a lot to replace at Texas A&M. I think, first of all, that quarterback room is fascinating. I don't know if all of those guys I have questions about for all different reasons. Haynes King was the starter last year, gets hurt in the second game, does not return for the regular season. How healthy is he? Super athletic, super straight line speed, but had an ankle injury, basically played a game and a half. What does he look like? Max Johnson, the second guy, is a transfer from LSU, was really good, but I think his upside is pretty low. 
if you need him to start, he's probably going to win you the games he's supposed to, but he's not going into Tuscaloosa. He's not going into uh, an SEC championship game against Georgia and competing at those levels. And then you have Connor Wegman, five-star quarterback, that everybody agrees is kind of going to be that dude a year or two from now, but is he ready right now? So it starts with the quarterback room, and then it's worth noting. You do bring back some key pieces, but you lose some key pieces as well. On the positive side, Devin A-Chain, star running back, a guy, you know, I talked about Haynes King, straight line speed. Devin A-Chain has world-class, like, Olympic quality speed, if that was what he decided to get into. Last year was the second leading rusher behind Isaiah Spiller. 910 yards rushing, seven yards per carry, nine touchdowns. And again, this was as kind of the second fiddle to Isaiah Spiller. You do bring back your best wide receiver in Anaya Smith, but you also lose Jaden Weidemeyer, a star tight end. So starting running back gone, starting tight end gone, second string uh, running back is awesome and maybe ready for a breakout. But what about the wide receiver depth behind Anaya Smith? I do think it'll be interesting. One of those five stars that we talked about, uh, Evan Stewart, number one wide receiver in America. Is he ready as a true freshman to be a difference maker? And so plenty of questions on the, the offensive side of the ball. Plenty of questions on the defensive side of the ball as well, where again, you lose a ton up front, including DeMarvin Leal, early round pick uh, in the NFL draft, Tyree Johnson. You lose a couple key linebackers, including Aaron Hansford. And so that defense is talented, but it's super young, new coordinator. I think it's going to take time. In terms of the schedule, it's certainly very interesting. So on the one hand, your first four games, you don't have any true road games. That's a positive. Now, one of those games is at home against Miami, and one of them is a neutral site game in the uh, Southwest Classic against Arkansas. From there, however, it's where it gets interesting. Three straight road games in the SEC, including at Mississippi State, which is a team that I obviously like, at Alabama, we know that's going to be a big one, and then at South Carolina, which you wouldn't think would be a big one, but if it, you know if you lose to Alabama, there's a buy-in between, but, but how focused are you? you got to go back on the road. So you're literally talking about a month straight where they are not playing in Aggieland. Now, the good news is four of their final five are at home, but none of them are going to be very easy. Ole Miss, Florida, again, is a crossover game. Uh, and then uh, LSU to close the season. So with Texas A&M, this is one that to me, like LSU, is a stay away. Now the over-under is eight and a half. I, if I had to bet it, if you're taking me to Vegas, you're giving me 100 bucks and saying, Torres, you have to bet A&M. I would probably take the over. I do feel like the across-the-board talent is probably about 9-3, and three, maybe 10-2 and two if things go right. But three straight road games in SEC play, four straight games away from home, the entire month basically from September 17th against Miami to October 29th against Ole Miss, you're playing away from Texas A&M, away from Kyle Field, away from College Station. It's enough to cause concern. I really do think this is a year, get to 9-3, and three. everybody will make fun of you, but you know what you're building towards for 2023 when a lot of those freshmen become sophomores, when a lot of that depth gets actualized, and when I think that's the year that Texas A&M really breaks out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch -ch -chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Final two teams. First of all, Arkansas. Fascinating team. Another one. I could see it going either way. On the positive, first of all, it's worth noting with Arkansas, the over-under is 7.5. Over you know, the over is minus 145. The under is plus 125. And Arkansas is, of course, coming off a 9-4 and four season, 8 wins last year. So you're basically asking, can they repeat what they did last year in the regular season? Worth noting, a year ago, not only were they 8-4, but it was really just, it was an incredible year for Sam Pittman. Listen, they don't give national coach of the year to an 8-4 and four type program, but where he has elevated this program to in two years is absolutely incredible. And last year was just, in many ways, a dream season, right? You beat your three biggest rivals in the SEC, Texas A&M in Dallas, at LSU, Missouri at home to close the regular season. You go to a bowl game and smack around Penn State. It was an incredible season, and I think there are both reasons for absolute optimism, and I think there's reasons to kind of question, can you match that 8-4? and four? In terms of the optimism, I'll tell you this. About a month ago, I had a Arkansas fan tweet at me. They actually tagged Josh Pate on it as well. Josh Pate from Late Kick, a really, really talented uh, guy that I hope to have on there. Uh, by the time you listen, I might have him on the Aaron Torres podcast. But they tagged Josh Pate and I, and they said, KJ Jefferson, why does he not get more love nationally? And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I didn't have a very good answer. KJ Jefferson, in an offseason where everybody loves, will leave us at Kentucky. Where everybody loves, you know, Jackson Dart, who's never played a game for uh, for Ole Miss. Why doesn't uh, Why doesn't KJ Jefferson get the love that he deserves? Sixty seven percent completion percentage, uh, twenty one touchdowns, four interceptions. Also led Arkansas in rushing. He is back for another year. He has to be the most underrated quarterback, certainly in the SEC, maybe nationally as well. Concern, of course, is that around him, you lose Traylon Smith, the leading rusher besides K.J. Jefferson, and you lose Traylon Burks, a first-round pick to the Tennessee Titans. Now, the positive for Arkansas is you did crush it in the portal, especially at wide receiver where Jaden Hazelwood, a former five-star, can't miss, I believe he was the number one ranked wide receiver in the country, started his career at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley leaves. He hits the portal. He's coming to Arkansas. Defensively, it's kind of the same deal. You lose a lot of guys, you add a bunch via the portal. In terms of the losses, two of the better linebackers in all of the SEC last year, Grant Morgan, 100-plus tackles, Hayden Henry, multiple-year starter. But you also, uh, and by the way, you met, I mentioned this a minute ago, you lose two DBs to LSU, Greg Brooks, Joe Faucha. But I also think that when I look at this team, a couple things. One, you do have kind of a great leader in bumper pullback, 125 tackles last year, which is absolutely insane. Uh, and another place where they just did a good job in the portal. Linebacker Drew Sanders played at Alabama, former five-star. Uh, Landon Jackson, a defensive end from LSU, really, really, really talented player. And then you do, even though you lost a couple guys in the defensive backfield, you do bring back a couple key guys, including safety Jalen Catalan. Beyond that with Arkansas, I think the other interesting thing to look at is the schedule. Remember, Sam Pittman, uh, you know, he has gone to SEC Media Days two years in a row and said, we are the national champions in the toughest schedule in college football, and I think he's been right. Two years ago, SEC-only schedule. They had both Florida and Georgia. That was during the COVID year. Last year, they played Texas in the out-of-conference. We all remember that one. Also played uh, at Georgia, and then, of course, had an SEC schedule, SEC West schedule. This year, there's no such thing as an easy schedule in the SEC West, but it's, 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 it's not as hard as it's been 
and it's interesting to me. Why is it interesting to me? First of all, the first two games could go either way. If you're Arkansas, you expect to win them, but here's who they play first. Cincinnati. Remember Cincinnati? Made the college football playoff last year. That should be a win for Arkansas. Obviously, that will be at home. Cincinnati has lost a ton off last year's team. Sauce Gardner, top 10 pick. Uh, Desmond Ritter, their quarterback. Then in week two, you have South Carolina, a team that got hot late in the year, but that game is in Fayetteville as well. Overall, your first five are either at home or on a neutral site, so you don't play a true road game. This is kind of an incredible stat until October 8th. First five are Cincinnati, South Carolina, Missouri State, A&M in a neutral, and then Alabama at home. So you're not nobody expects to beat Alabama, but what is real is is 4 and 1 realistic is anything could happen. Cincinnati's good, South Carolina's good. You got to take care of those games at home. Then what's especially interesting, three straight on the road including a really weird one at BYU in the middle of the year. This is the last year that BYU will be an independent playing an independent schedule. You close with four straight uh, or four or five at home, but none of them are easy. LSU Ole Miss, it was, I guess it's three of four, LSU Ole Miss, and even Liberty, Hugh Freeze's Liberty team. So look, think about that out-of-conference schedule. Cincinnati at home, Hugh Freeze and Liberty at home, BYU on the road. So I, I just, I, I can't bet Arkansas because I think the talent is there to go eight and four, but that schedule is just, just a lot of just tough games that I think could go either way. You should beat Cincinnati. I don't think it's inconceivable that they beat you. You should win at BYU, but that's tough in the middle of SEC play. You should beat Ole Miss LSU at home, but obviously LSU, you beat last year. They're going to come in looking for vengeance. Arkansas, a total stay away to me. If I had to bet, I'd probably lean, go 8-4, and four, expect them to win those games at home, but that is a total stay away. Finally, lastly, whew, the Auburn Tigers. And Auburn, like Texas A&M, we know what happened in the offseason. Um, you know, first of all, it is worth noting Auburn did lose their final five games of the season. They did lose that bowl game to Houston. They did lose to South Carolina. They did lose to Mississippi State at home. It was not pretty for Brian Harson. He had a bunch of coordinator changes. Derek Mason leaves for Oklahoma State. On and on and on and on and on. You all remember the deal. The fan base tried not the. I don't want to speak for the whole fan base, but some of the fan base tried to get him out. He stays, and I'll just say with Brian Harson, I think he's a good coach. I certainly think the guys that are there are going to believe in him. I just don't know if they have enough to get the wins that they need. Now, their over-under is just 6.5, but kind of like LSU, the money's coming in on the under, minus 165 for the under, plus 135 for the over. So betters actually have them going 6-6 six and six at best. couple thoughts with, with, with Auburn. My biggest concern, again, I think the guys in that building believe in Brian Harson, but much like LSU, much like A&M, when you have three quarterbacks, you have none at all, and that is ex- exacerbated at Auburn. T.J. Finley's back, but T.J. Finley, listen, I, I like him. I thought he was gutty late in the year when they needed him to be, but this was a guy that completed like 54% of his passes, six touchdowns, one interception. I just don't know if he's that guy in the SEC. You add two transfer, Zach Calzada, who was at Texas A&M last year. Remember, he's the guy that uh, led, led A&M to the upset over Alabama. But how good is he? He didn't practice in the spring. He wasn't healthy. And then you have a kid named Robbie Ashford who actually looked really good in spring ball, but we'll see if he gets a shot to compete for that starting quarterback job. Beyond that, you lose a ton in a lot of key places. Now, they do bring back Tank Bigsby, the running back, star running back. But you lose your top wide receiver, Kobe Hudson. I'm not sold on the quarterback position. 
And also, you lost most of your difference makers on defense. Roger McCreary, early round pick in the defensive backfield. Uh, Sakobi McClain, elite linebacker. Chandler Wooten. And also, uh, Smoke Monday, the, the, the safety who was just a hard hitter, tough. And, you know, Brian Harson loved and raved about him last year. Finally, with Auburn, we know the deal. The schedule is brutal, and this year is no exception. But even by Auburn standards, it, it, it is weirdly manageable. Now, why is Auburn's schedule always tough? Well, it's because, like Tennessee, they get Georgia and Alabama every single year. This year, they happen to get them both on the road. Uh, not ideal in a season where you're trying to save your job, Brian Harson. And what's interesting to me more than anything is that they get Penn State at home early in the season in week three. That, to me, you talk about one of the big swing games in all of college football. If Brian Harson loses that one at home, and I think it's possible, I don't think it's inconceivable that they win, though, but you lose that one at home, you're probably looking at right around 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. That's definitely not saving your season. But if you win that game, and the first two games are Mercer and San Jose State, and your next two games are Missouri and LSU at home, you could be 5-0 and oh heading into Georgia on October 8th. You also have Ole Miss on the road in Alabama, as I mentioned, in the Iron Bowl, Texas A&M, and Arkansas at home. I have no strong opinions. The final thought I would say on Auburn, and this is important. We've seen this before. If they lose that Penn State game, if they lose to LSU early, if they get smacked by Georgia, let's say they lose Georgia, Ole Miss, and Penn State. That's all before their bye. That puts them at 4-3 and three going into their bye. Do you start to hear rumors about Brian Harson's future? Do, does Auburn again try to make a move to get him out? That is where my concern comes in. It's not with Brian Harson, and it's not with the guys in that locker room that believe in him. But we've seen this happen a million times in college football. Things don't start as planned, and you end up with a situation where you're 4-3, you're 2-3, and, three, two and three, whatever it is. The players start to hear that they know their coach is out, and then they start to kind of check out as well. That would be my concern. I would lean under, but this is one that I will definitively be staying away from again. So here's the whole story. I, I, I have Mississippi State as an over. That is a bet that I will make. Alabama as over 10.5 is a bet I will make. Ole Miss over under 7.5. I do think Ole Miss is a little bit overvalued. I would probably still stick with the over, though, but that is not one I will bet. LSU total stay away. I probably lean towards six and six. Uh, Texas A&M. I probably lean towards a slight over at eight and a half. Auburn. I just talked about Arkansas seven and a half slight over. Auburn slight under. So that's it for the SEC. We got two of these episodes down. Obviously, we hit on the SEC East last week, and we hit on the SEC West today. Next week, we will take a look at the Big Ten starting in the East. With Ohio State, how about the defending big champ, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and more. But for now, I am going to get out of here. Make sure you are subscribed to College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Please, by the way, if you don't mind, go ahead and uh, go ahead and leave a rating and review. It really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the show if you're not already. I'm sure many of you are just finding this show here in the lead-up to the season, which is fine. It happens. But make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review. Also find us on YouTube, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. That is all. I will be back next week. Have a great weekend. Oh, by the way, enjoy SEC Media Days, everybody. It is coming. It is here. College football season is well on its way.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.